morning. I'm not doing the announcements, but I have something to announce. Uh, WMU is starting a fundraiser. It'll go on for the entire month of August, and it's located out in the lobby. You can see it in person. It's a handcrafted flower box with a stand, and it's got all the stuff you need to start a small garden in it. It's got potty mix, miracle Grow flower seeds, the kneeling pad, garden gloves, a, glo a trowel, a rake, and shears. The tickets are $5 a piece, and you know all this, the money that we raise with WMU goes to missionaries here and abroad. And um, anything that's left on the angel tree at Christmas, WMU will go ahead and finish out the tree. So no child is left without anything. So um, we have several ladies that's selling, selling the tickets. If all of y'all will stand up, so you can go to any one of these ladies. Stand up, stand up. We all have tickets, so we would like to make a lot of money for WMU. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> all right, thank y'all. Unless it comes with uh, somebody to actually grow the plants, it's not going to help me very much. So, um, but yeah, you all check that out. It's in the in the fellowship. I mean, in the welcome center and. Um, a few other announcements as we get started this morning. I wanted to thank you all for praying for the Cook family. Um, as many of you know, I went up to Indiana a couple weekends ago to um, one of my best friends growing up in Indiana has lost both of his parents in the past three years. And so um, that was a, a good time for us to be able to go and minister to them. And uh, my father, as you guys know, was uh, a pastor in Indiana for 25 years and uh, so they often call him back. But it was a great opportunity just to minister to them. And I want to thank you all for being so loving and caring um, for those of you, for those who are not even in our church, but in the church. And uh, thankful for your, um, your hearts for all of those people. Um, a couple of things that we want to let you know about. One is the Braves game. So 6th to 12th graders um, who want to go to the Braves game, that's tomorrow. We have a couple of spots left. Um, we're almost full, which I'm thankful for, um, but you can see me after this. If you have any questions about that, we'll leave tomorrow at 5.30, um, come back when the game is over. I can't give you a definite time, but it'll be a little later, uh, but uh, that's tomorrow, um, tomorrow evening, leaving at 5.30 from the church. Wednesday night, we're having a swim party for our students to kind of kick the year back off. So Wednesday night at the Sanders home, we're having a swim party from 6 to 7.30. Um, any details you need about that, you can see me. We'll have food and drinks and all that kind of stuff. And so if you have not been a part of the youth ministry or you're interested in, in getting to know those people, um, this will be a great time as we kind of kick back off with our normal services starting the, the following Wednesday, August 9th. A couple of things coming up. One is soccer. So if you know of anybody who wants to play soccer, there's about 50 of these on the welcome table. Um, pass those out. It's got all of our information on it. And if you are interested in helping with soccer, uh, coaching, uh, any, other, uh, any other help that, could, that you think you may be able to help with, that would be greatly appreciated. It's probably our biggest um, outreach that we do. We have a lot of people from the community who play soccer. Um, and so if you're interested in coaching or have any questions about who can play, um, you can see me and uh, I'll answer as many questions as I can. And then finally, um, as you guys know, we've been going through Isaiah. We're going to do that for the next 
18 weeks, I believe, and we have reading plans. So we're not going to read every, we're not going to preach every uh, chapter of Isaiah. So if you are interested in, in keeping up with, with where we're at in Isaiah, I greatly encourage you to grab one of these on the welcome table and read along with us. You're not too far behind. Okay, you can read a chapter a day and catch up pretty quickly. So um, I just encourage you to, to take one of those with you uh, this, this afternoon after we worship. This morning, as we um, get ready to, to worship together in song and the preaching of the word, I'm going to ask Mr. Jerry if he would come forward. He's going to read our call to worship, and we're also going to have a special prayer time for our teachers and our students as many of them return back to schools um, this week. And so, if Mr. Jerry, if you'd come forward. Good morning. I don't know, did, did y'all notice that when Crystal said, stand up, Larry Teeter stood up? Did y'all see that? There's a man who's been married a long time and has learned his lessons well. Way to go, Larry. Um, I kind of wanted to stand up myself, but I didn't. Uh, John chapter 12 is where we're at today. We're in John chapter 12, if you'd like to follow along with me. And uh, two passages from that. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible today, and I'm going to start in verse 23, John chapter 12. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then I'm turning over to uh, verse 37 in the same chapter. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fill the, fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. So, we're going to have a special time of prayer now for those people who are uh, uh, returning to school, the, the kids, the adults. If you're in here today and you work in any capacity in a school system, will you just stand up for just a please stand and let everybody in here see who, who in here works with the school system. So just stand up. Stand up, look around you and see these people. And, and keep them in your prayers, folks. We would appreciate that very much. Thank you. You can see it. Uh, as a 30-year veteran of education, I can say that, uh, that they covet your prayers. Uh, God has been good to us in Heard County, and he's been good to those people in Carroll County and surrounding counties. He has a lot of people in the schools working. And, uh, and, and folks, they're making a difference in kids' lives. And uh, also pray for the safety of the kids. And, and a special prayer also remember uh, the Carter family, uh, the, the young man who, who drowned last week. 
they'll have a service for him tomorrow at, uh, at uh, GPAC in Franklin. So remember that family too. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to get together as a group of believers and to come together and, and worship you. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have uh, prepared through your preacher to, to share with us. Father, let it change us. Let it change how we live and the actions we take and the things that we do. Father, I pray for all the sick and afflicted, those who would have loved to have been here today but couldn't. Pray for all those who have lost loved ones, Father. Uh, be with them and comfort them. Father, I pray that you would be with, uh, with uh, our children and our adults who are going back to school in the next few days. Father, we pray for their safety and their travels back and forth. Father, we pray that, uh, that you would be with them and open their hearts and open their minds. Give, give the adults an opportunity uh, to, to, to share the love of God, and they can share that just by the life that they live. I pray for those students in the school system who are believers, and I pray, Father, that you would encourage them and strengthen them that they could share the love for Jesus with those fellow students that they have. Father, I just pray for the safety of all of them and the success for a very good school year. Now, I pray that, Father, you would be with us and go with us and guide and direct us in all that we do. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin singing this morning with Holy, Holy, Holy.
sing one more little song together and a little chorus together. It's called Let There Be Glory and Honor and Praises. And it comes straight from um, the scripture Mr. Jerry read this morning. And so they actually played it last week to kind of get it in your brain without you knowing it. Um, but we'll sing it through two times. to him. 
sing, we'll sing one more song together before our sermon. We're going to sing, Holy is the Lord.
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much just for allowing us to come into your house and worship this morning, God. Lord, thank you um, that we stand redeemed because you sent your son in our place, God. And Lord, this morning as um, we open the book of Isaiah, I just pray that you prepare our hearts to take communion, God, um, and just remind us the sacrifice that was paid for us, God, in a way that we may go out and glorify you, Lord, in all that we do. We just love you and praise you and thank you, and we turn this time of study um, over to you as a time of worship, and pray that you speak clearly through Pastor Neil, and we pray for our leaders that will also be working with the kids in Children's Church. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. And children are going to respond to Children's Church. Okay, thank you, Catherine. As the children are dismissed for Children's Church, the rest of us, please turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We are grateful to be working our way through the book of Isaiah. As Bryson mentioned, we are not preaching every chapter, but we are preaching what we feel like are the key themes and chapters within this book. And today, in this incredible passage, we have the commissioning and the call of the prophet Isaiah. It's helpful to know the context, and I'll share some of that in just a bit. But let's just say that this was a time of crisis for God's people. A time of crisis for God's people. Uh, War has already broken out. Uh, The Assyrians have already been invading, and there has been a good deal of destruction. There also has been a great loss of life especially the loss of a key leader named King Uzziah. So let's pick up in chapter 6, and the whole gist of the message today is that in a time of crisis, God gives us the vision and the revelation that we need. He gave this to Isaiah, and through Isaiah, he is also giving it to us. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. Just imagine that incredible vision. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So these are beautiful and majestic, fiery, angelic beings. Verse 3, And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then Isaiah remarks that the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, here's Isaiah's response, Woe is me, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar 
with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven or atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And then he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive and their ears dull. Their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, well, that sounds great. Well, that must have been what he was feeling, because in verse 11 he says, Lord, how long? How long must I continue this message of, of condemnation? And he answered and said this, Until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, the land is utterly desolate, and the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Well, that sounds great. God is going to judge his people for their rebellion and turning away from him. But notice Verse 13, and this is a theme throughout the book of Isaiah. He ends with this ray of hope, this promise of a remnant and a seed. I love that verse, I love that word at the beginning of verse 13. Yet, yet, there will be a tenth portion in it. And it will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, when it's cut off or cut down. The holy seed is its stump. Father, again, we are grateful for your prophet Isaiah, all that he saw, all that he experienced. Lord, this truly was very heavy. It was heavy and weighty upon him because this is who you are. So, Father, meet us today through your word, through your spirit, through communion and the Lord's Supper. Thank you for this great reminder, not only of your holiness, but also of your amazing love and your amazing grace. Father, may we see this message through uh, how we will end our service with with communion, uh, with remembering the altar. Christ and his sacrifice and may we listen to this sermon also in light of the fact that there is a gracious invitation not only at the end of services like today but God you invite us to come to you in repentance and faith so that we may be healed spiritually And ultimately, that our world will be healed because we look forward to the day in which there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Thank you for your faithfulness, your covenant love, and that where sin increases, Lord, grace abounds even more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Hey, uh, follow with me this morning in Isaiah chapter 6. I have today, yes, six wonderful observations that Isaiah saw when he saw glorious things above that are normally unseen to the human eye. Now, if you have been paying attention uh, to what all has gone on in our community locally, you know that this particular week has been a week of difficulty and grief and death. Jerry already mentioned the passing of Antoine Carter, a student at Heard County High School, a rising senior football player, incredible personality. It was very shocking and very heavy uh, to hear of his drowning, of his passing. Some of you know Harry Barber, the, the community friend and leader to many of us in Franklin. Uh, Harry passed away uh, this week, and that was something that was expected. And so I ask you to be in prayer for Cutine and his family. A man who was, I think, 34 years old, Joshua Pierce, passed away. Uh, continue to pray for his family. A lot of our folks uh, knew him. And then Mr. Herbert Giles, who lived right across the road from the church. He passed this week. And some of you may have seen Mr. Herbert coming into our church a couple of times recently, uh, struggling step by step and sitting on the back row, struggling step by step to get out. He prayed to receive Christ before he passed. But I noticed in his life already before he passed a childlike humility and a desire that when he began to come to worship in the church that God was dealing with him. And as the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I introduced this particular passage because Isaiah is seeing the temple. He is seeing, I believe, the heavenly temple of which the earthly temple was built to, to be modeled after or to be representative of. And Isaiah had, has had in his particular life and in his nation, look at verse 1, a death. It is significant that this vision from God of glory and grace comes in the providence of God in a timely manner. We don't need to just brush through the fact that Isaiah says, in the year that the king of our people died, God revealed something special to me. Isaiah is feeling a void. Isaiah is feeling pressure. Isaiah is feeling a connection to the loss and uncertainty and the, the, the frailty of human life. And at just the right time, when King Uzziah is gone and coming up next is wicked King Ahab. Go ahead and do the reading in the next chapter, chapter 7. So for context, you need to know this happens at a time when we, in, in, in chapters 1 through 5, he's, he's preached of a, a, a wonderful future. He's preached of devastating judgment. So how is all this going to happen? God, how are you going to get us through a time of turmoil and war and loss and devastation? 
And it's almost as if at just the right time, God pulls back the curtains for just a moment and gives us a sight of the glory that we need, of the perspective that we need, of the justice that we need, the holiness we need, the mercy we need in this particular vision. So when Uzziah died in the year probably 740 B.C., this was, as I said, a time of crisis, war, conflict, loss, and void. So, the perspective we need that Isaiah gave his particular people. I'm going to give you these six truths, and then it is going to culminate in us celebrating and remembering the Lord's Supper. So, if you're familiar with me, we need to get busy. All right, number one, we have first a glorious revelation. A glorious revelation to help me walk through this text and to help you walk through this passage with me. I think in verses 1 through 4, we have God revealing the strength and the intensity and the power of His glory. So that Isaiah will know, yes, King Uzziah has died, but don't forget that there's a greater king. There is a supreme king. There is a powerful king who is creator and lord and warrior. And you're seeing for just a moment the heavenly worship of the heavenly king. Look at what he sees. I mean, human words fall short of describing this particular scene and this glimpse of glory. I tried to put it on a personal human level. And it'd be like a strange mix between something you might see in Stranger Things, something you might have seen in The Wizard of Oz, and something you might have felt when a severe thunderstorm warning came through. And as the storm came through, lightning struck close by. And before the lightning crashed near your house, the hair on your arms began to stand up. You ever felt that? Something that's terrible and mysterious and traumatic. You've got these fiery beings as, as, as the Lord is lofty and exalted and He's in His proper place. He is being worshipped and honored and feared. They're calling out to one another in perfect harmony and beauty. Lyrics that we just sang. The whole earth is a theater of His glory. Then the foundations tremble and quake. He calls out with this voice while the temple is filling with smoke. What a glorious vision. I don't have the preaching and I don't have the words. To do it justice. Some of you may have seen uh, Darrell Langley is alive and well this morning. That's good to know because last weekend he jumped out of an airplane. <laughs> yeah. You can YouTube it. And I watched this last night. And, and I don't know about you, but if the airplane is 
running smoothly and well, I'm not sure I'm jumping out. (laughs) But he and his son, my friend Brandon Langley, jumped out of that airplane. I don't know what that experience would be like. Derail has a sense now of what that experience was like. But can I say this? For the first few moments, he had his eyes closed, okay? I mean, go watch it. He's, He's... thousands of feet in the air, and I'm thinking, you know, and he's clinging, or the guy that's behind him with with the parachute and the professionalism and this, I mean, it it all went well, but for that brief moment, I'd like to know, Darrell, more about how he felt. When he landed, he said uh, in the video that I watched, uh, they asked him, when will you be doing this again? He says, I think it's going to be a while. But then Janet says that He's thinking about doing it for his next, what, 75th birthday? Is that right, Janet? You said this yesterday. All right. You go get him derailed, okay? This is the kind of experience that something like that, standing before the Grand Canyon, uh, standing in, in, in majestic beauty that is... That is, that is powerful and wonderful and exciting, but also terrifying. I mean, this is, a, this is an exciting world. It's a beautiful world. But it's also a dangerous world. But there's a king over this world who is ruling this world, and he is good. And he's holy. And he's faithful. And what you and I need more than anything else when times are are great and, and when times are difficult, we need to keep in mind, holy, holy, holy. The repetition is to drive home the power and, and intensity and the holiness of our God. So that comes first. This word glory means weightiness, weightiness, that God is totally other, He's totally beyond, and that there is an infinite distance between the world of man and the world of God. An infinite distance between the world of man and the world of God. But God in His grace has has bridged the gulf uh, through Jesus and through His Word. And in other ways, but I must move on. Number two, this leads to a personal realization. Notice what Isaiah says very quickly when he is confronted with the weightiness and the heaviness of God as God. He says, woe is me, I am ruined. The new living Translation puts it like this. It's all over. (laughs) Have you had a sense of that before? Where something was so overwhelming and so difficult or so extreme and so powerful that where Isaiah had preached to the nations and to his own people who had rebelled against God and turned from God, you can look back in 1 through 5. Several places Isaiah said to sinners, Woe are you. Woe are you. Woe are you. And you've thought that before too. 
as you've looked at other people's lives and their sins and their, their failures, you've thought, woe to them, right? Isaiah goes from woe to them to what? Woe to me. He personally felt the weight of his own sinfulness and his own guilt. And he basically says, I'm toast. It's over. I'm done. I'm spent. I have nothing good to provide before God in His holiness. There's an infinite distance between me and God. Woe is me. But he also realizes that about other people. And that's a helpful remembrance as well. Not only do I have unclean lips, which is a figure of speech about my whole life, because our mouths reveal ultimately how sinful we are and what we are on the inside. Isaiah realizes that about his people. I'm a man of unclean lips, but guess what? All of us are people of unclean lips. The, the reality of Romans chapter 3, the depravity of man, has come home to roost in Isaiah's personal life, and he is absolutely empty. This is the beginning of repentance. This is the beginning of salvation. This is recognizing the weight of who you are as a fallen human creature. All of a sudden, his personal thoughts and opinions don't matter. All of a sudden, his positions and his preferences don't matter. All of a sudden, he doesn't have it all figured out. He is absolutely crushed. Now, I don't need to go into this any further. But let's just imagine that the Amazon delivery guy is coming to your home with the greatest of packages. Your dream came true and you ordered it and there it is. But in your arms are so many packages that you're in no position to receive what he would like to deliver. Before you can receive the greatest gift of all, you must empty your arm and your life of all that you have, of all that you are, and wave the white flag of surrender and say with Isaiah, I finally agree with God about my condition. The good news is that once you reach that point, once you empty your life of all of your self-pride, and self-righteousness, and all this junk that comes with human living, then you're in a position to receive His grace. It was traumatic. It was woeful. It was reality. Apart from God and His grace, we are doomed creatures. Let me say it again. It's all over. It's all over. Let's move on. But then... Hey, there's good news. The third observation, the third wonderful thing he sees is this merciful consecration. Okay, Follow this with me because in 6 and 7, God does something so merciful and so gracious. God initiates the whole thing. Now, you ought to make a connection real quick with, with what we're about to do at the end of the service. This holy being flies to Isaiah. That implies quickness and urgency, initiative, power. With a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar, the altar of sacrifice, 
there would have been something that was sacrificed. And there's this fire, okay, that's going and consuming the sacrifice. And he takes it with tongs and he touches my mouth. And he says, behold, which is pay attention and look. This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is fully covered. What a merciful act of forgiveness and purification and consecration because God loves Isaiah and he loves his people. And Isaiah's great need is for his guilt and sin to be removed and taken and forgiven. And God does it in a fiery, holy, merciful way. Man, for some strange reason, this reminded me of, I have seen a few times in hospitals or in other homes where a hospice nurse out of grace, care, and compassion, will reach down and touch the lips of someone who is extremely thirsty and whose lips are dry. And she or he reaches down with compassion and touches that person's need at the point of their need. Where did Isaiah receive the grace and forgiveness? Exactly at the point of confession. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then God in His grace forgives and purifies His unclean lips because Isaiah is going to speak the holy words of God. So there's this fire that purifies us. The other strange thought that I had in my mind is that when I was a child and I would get a a splinter in my hand, my mom or grandma or somebody like that that loved me <laughs> would take a needle. But before that needle was stuck in my hand, to purify the needle, they would stick under a flame the very point of that needle. And that needle would be purified and go exactly to the point of need and remove the thorn, remove the splinter. Fire purifies, fire cleanses. And that's one reason why Isaiah is preaching judgment and fire because this whole earth has to be cleansed by fire to prepare for a new world, a new earth, a new heaven in which righteousness dwells But on the cross, on the altar of God, Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God made the one who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be counted righteousness in Him. In other words, through Jesus bearing the fiery judgment of God, our sin can be forgiven. And our iniquity can be lifted. God is not just terror and trauma and holiness. He is also mercy and grace and forgiveness. And Isaiah doesn't just see this. 
He personally feels this and receives this from God's initiating grace. So we have a merciful consecration. That was number three, if you're still with me. Number four, there's also a divine invitation. A divine invitation. Look at what comes next in verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? What a call. Notice the capital us in the New American Standard. God is an us. God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but I'm just going to say that God, through His grace and authority, invites someone to do something. Who will go? Isn't it interesting, at the end of Jesus' ministry, before He ascends, what is the Great Commission? Go and share the good news. God has a work to do. He has mission to do. He has ministry to do. And here's the great call coming from the throne of God. Who will go? But before the foundation of the world, the Trinity gathers. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And knowing the great need of humanity was coming, who will go? Who will go into the world to be the Savior, to be the Messiah? Isaiah's call and answer mirrors and points to the call of the Father to send the Son. And he fully submits to the Father's will and he goes. He goes and he dies and he goes and he rises again. Let's move on. Number five, there is here a total resignation. Who will go? Who will serve? Who will share? This reminded me of times when you ask the children, hey, who wants to do this? They say, me, me, I'll go. No hesitation. Man, in light of his glory and in light of his grace, Isaiah says real quickly, here am I. Send me. Total resignation. Total surrender. I heard this week that Georgia leads the nation in resignations. I don't know what that means. But it means I'm done with where I'm at and I'm moving on to somewhere new. Isaiah is saying the same thing. Not my will, but your will be done. Here's my life, Lord, take it. That's the only proper response to who God is and what He's done for us. Who will go? Send me. There's total resignation. Paul says later, as he too was confronted with God's glory and grace, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, and this is your reasonable spiritual service. Surrender your life. Give your life away. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Listen, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Fanny Crosby put it like this. Here, Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. All that I am and all that I have surrendered to God's sovereignty 
and His grace and His will. A total resignation is necessary and is something you and I as fallen, proud, fleshly people, we have to resign every morning to ourselves and to the world around us. Deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Him. Number six, are we already there? Yes, we are. A hopeful exhortation. Hey, I almost called this a hopeful condemnation. Even those, those two words, man, that's counterintuitive. But, but let's just look briefly at what God says for Isaiah to say. See, they have already determined in their heart to go their own way. They have already become stiff-necked and stubborn, and they're not going to budge. Well, God will not be mocked. God will not be trifled with. And so He enables them to become what they've determined to be, people autonomous and apart from God. So He tells Isaiah, look, you're preaching judgment here. You're preaching to them what's going to happen. And I want to give the tone of verse 9 something like this. Keep on. Keep on. You've probably either said that or heard that. Keep on. All right? Keep on doing that. I've got my limits. You've got your limits. And God is saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. Isaiah is going to preach and he's going to share. And the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And God's word will do his work. Either as I preach, you will become angrier and hostile and more stubborn, or in your heart of hearts, you'll start to say, yeah, yeah, I need that. My heart is molding. My heart is shaping. My heart is becoming softer. Jesus did this with the parable of the soils, and he used Isaiah's verses to, 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 to emphasize and highlight that it's been this way all along. Keep on looking, but don't understand. Their hearts are going to become fat, which is literally what insensitive means in verse 10. Their ears dull, their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. And Isaiah said, Lord, how long? How long? He's exasperated. So that's his exhortation. It's remain rebellious, remain stubborn, remain unrepentant. Life without God has its God-ordained consequences. But, hey, I want to end with hope here. Verse 13 is amazing. You see, that's why I called this a hopeful exhortation. Because do you remember back in Genesis chapter 3? When Adam and Eve sinned and fell against God and they felt the woe, they felt um, they, they were now exposed, they felt their nakedness, they felt the weight of distance between them and God, and so they tried to cover themselves. Long story short, God made a promise to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of Satan. God made a promise to forgive and make all things new. God's faithfulness and His covenant love remains true throughout the Bible. So you have this remnant and you have this seed. 
And Isaiah is saying at the end of this that even though there's going to be destruction, there's, there's going to be death, there's going to be chaos, and, and it's going to look like the nation has been cut off. It's going to look like hope has been cut off. It's going to be, look like you've been cut off. There are those who will remain who will believe, and they will serve. And they will people who, resp- who, who are going to respond positively to Isaiah's message. In that seed is the hope of the Messiah who would come. Chapter 7, verse 14. Look at this. The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and bear a son. You will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God is keeping this promise, and he keeps it until Jesus. So the home we are renovating is my grandmother's home, and when I was a little boy, she planted these little oak seedlings that are now huge. Well, I noticed the other day one of these trees has been cut off. But coming out of that stump, coming out of the ground, where it looks and appears that there is no life. Shoots are growing out of that stump. Because underneath that stump there is life. Underneath that stump there is growth. Isaiah says that's exactly the picture that you need to see how God fulfills His promises. Just when things seem hopeless and dead, God has a remnant and a seed, and there is life. So we might say, well, that's well and good for Isaiah. Where is my sign? Where is my vision? We were having family lunch last Sunday after church. And we were eating at one of those places where they cook in front of you. No, not Waffle House. A little nicer than that. And while we were eating there, there was a family, a husband and a wife and their child. And the wife gets up and leaves and comes back. And then the father, the husband, communicates to us She has just received a special vision revelation from God about you. He's not pointing to me. He's pointing to my son Asa. She had gone outside to translate into Spanish into her her phone so that he could read what God said to her about him. And I'm thinking, "This this is heavy. This is incredible. And I don't know if I have the interpretation correctly, but it went something like this. God has his hand on you. I see God at work in you. What we're getting from you, you need to know that God wants you to speak his word and to live for him. Asa later says, I think she got me mixed up with you. I said, I said no. I said, no, that... That was your revelation from God. That was your vision from God. You you need to answer to that. And here's my point. I I don't want to go into the theology of God speaking through things like that at times like that. But when you read your Bible, it's certainly possible. But, But here's what I'll close with. 
God also, in His Word and through His Son and through the church, says the very same thing about you and me. That God loves us, that He's holy, that His hand is upon our lives. God gave Isaiah this vision to benefit people like you and me who are still living in times of loss and crises, times of war and times of judgment, times of pain and sorrow, but also times of joy. And, and here's one other sign right here. God has given communion to the church as a sign. If everything that Isaiah saw came crashing down to earth in a powerful way, the sign is Christ. It is Jesus living a righteous and pure life. It is Jesus giving himself up on the cross so that we might be forgiven as he bears the fiery judgment of God. It's Jesus who is the seed, Uncle Jerry just read, that if he goes into the ground and dies, he will rise again and bear much fruit. Communion speaks to all of that. It speaks to his holiness and his glory, and it speaks personally to you and me of his grace. And it says that he's coming again. Why would the early church have continued to recognize and celebrate this sign if Christ didn't rise from the dead? But because he did, they continued to memorialize and remember his broken body and his shed blood, which is the source of our strength and our encouragement, revealing both God's glory and his grace. Let's empty ourselves of all these packages and let's receive by faith what God will give. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you that we have before us something that we can see and feel and touch and take that was given to the church to look back at the cross and to look ahead to the new heaven and the new earth. We are commanded to do this regularly. We are commanded to do this humbly. We're commanded to do this hopefully and joyfully. Help us to remember you well through what you've given us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, lengthy sermon to get to this point. But don't go soft on us. We need to spend this time remembering him. I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward now. I'm going to lead us in serving both the bread and the cup. We are called to do this in a penitent and grateful way. We're reminded that we are all sinners with unclean lips. Therefore, we all need what God gave us in Christ. Before we take the supper, I'm going to ask Benji Alexander, if he would, to pray for us. That God would guide our time together.
Christ I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Amen. Thanks be to God for the body of Christ broken for us.
Jesus took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. 